Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudhaman. Joining me in Singapore, he's walking like a dude, feeling all cool. <laughs> Darren Burns. This is actually how I, how I mince home every night from the office, actually. Do you also apply Himalaya? Neem men's facial wash <laughs> to your skin. Is this the secret to your youthful good looks? I definitely do use product. This is not one of them. I actually have used this product. You have? Um, well, let, let's just stop here because our listeners, many of whom are completely unaware of, of Indian advertising campaigns, and with good reason, should probably, um, <laughs> probably appreciate being filled in. So we are talking, of course, about a new ad for Himalaya Men's Facial Wash, which features Virat Kohli and Rishabh Pant in quite an extraordinary uh, example of commercial messaging. And indeed, I, I believe might actually be one of your clients, Darren. Is this... <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm going to take the fifth here. I, I don't think it is a client. I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, I thought I'd seen everything with the Steve Smith kind of semi-Bollywood, semi-sort-of-dump dancing with uh, his teammates in the IPL. This is kind of next level stuff. This is unbelievable. The, uh, the, I would encourage any, everyone to watch it just for the, um, some of the camera work is just remarkable. It's amazing. The choreography is um, to die for, at the dubbing as well. Yeah, the cropping in, the way that at the beginning they kind of have all these weird close-ups of Vera from a kind of 360 sort of camera work. Is that because he's a 360 player? Yeah, he's, he's 520, I think, or, or 540. So anyway, I made a point of noting down the uh, the lyrics. It starts with Virat Kohli saying, well, saying rapping, kind of singing. Um, walk, walking like a dude, feeling all cool. You've got the look, you're going to rule. Hey man, you're all set for tonight. And then out of nowhere, because he's like behind him and you don't see him all this time, but because they're rotating... Rishabh Pant appears. It's just, it's really quite startling to see him just kind of come out of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, Rishabh Pant appears and says, this is, a, this is a great line, by the way, paint the town red because Virat says so. So, you know, I think he's definitely buying into the, to the team ethic there at, at the very least. But unfortunately, at that point, Virat Kohli pours cold water <laughs> over Rishabh Pant's dreams of a big night out. And says, but before you step out, dear bro, that pimple's got to go. <laughs> what a buzzkill. What a party pooper. Poor Rishab, you know, he's a youngster, just made it into the team. He's like ready for a big night out because Virat says so. Shades of Cameron Bancroft and David Warner. Absolutely. And, and kind of shame, shaming in a way in front of everyone. Uh, and then Virat and Rishab proceed to repeat that pimple's got to go like another 10 times. Which is, I mean, it's it's amazing and cutting edge stuff. Yeah, it's cutting edge. I, I can confirm that this product does not do what Virat is hoping it will do. Definitely does not remove pimples. So I can a hundred percent confirm that. Definitely a candidate for global saber of the year. <laughs> I w we'll still take it for sure. You know, if they want to enter, <laughs> sure will. <laughs> yeah, I think so, so. Some people, I think a wisdom journalist, Yash Rana, on Twitter has already called for a twelve-month ban. For Virat Kohli and, and, uh, and Rishabh Pant based on this. Um, I mean, you know, the, the BCCI took a pretty dim view of Hardik Pandya and KL Rahul's mm. transgressions. And well, do, do you think there'll be a petition on change.org a la Game of Thrones season 8 rewrite? <laughs> I mean, w we can only hope that the next ad, you know, maybe takes it to the next level. 
I mean, there's a lot they could do. They could bring in some other players. They could. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit surprised they used both of these players. Both have very good skin. So yeah, it's a bit weird. You know, maybe that's why they, they did could it. maybe bring in Ishant Sharma or. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So since our last podcast, actually, we've got a, a new IPL champion. We do. In fact, we now have a new. I think pretty much you'd have to say they're the most successful franchise in IPL history, only because they've lost fewer finals. And that is, of course, the Mumbai Indians, Darren. Yes, it was. Who, uh, who clinched a really dramatic final. It was a, it was a, not the greatest match. Real tension, a lot of mistakes, and in the end, a one-run victory for Mumbai. Yeah, I, I don't know if our listeners uh, actually watched the match. I did actually... Of course, I woke up in the morning and I, I checked the score and I did watch it again. Fascinating match. And I think it was, a. and you've mentioned this before, Arun, I think it was the best IPL ever. I think we had 20-something games going down to the last over. And it was a really tight, hard-fought final. You know, CSK almost getting up. The old gun, Shane Watson, really putting it, in, stepping into gear in the last, you know, two or three overs before he was run out in the last over with, with three or four to get. And then Malinga, after being belted in his previous spell, came back and delivered a slower ball Yorker off the last ball, LBW to Chahar to seal the series for Mumbai Indians. Yeah, it was a great match. Um, you said it wasn't a great match, but I think it was hard fought. It seesawed quite a lot. And, and I think a lot of the games did. If you, if you think about this year, RCB finished last on the table, but they had 11 points. That's the highest by quite a way that anyone's ever finished in last place. So it was quite competitive towards the end. Almost every team had a chance to make it to the top four. Really, really great series. Yeah, when I say it wasn't a great match, I, I mean it was. It was certainly, it was really dramatic and extremely hard fought. I just there were just there was a, quite a few drop catches, missed runouts. The quality of cricket was definitely you could see the pressure getting to players. I mean Suresh Raina, that was a you know really forgettable innings he played, and you know MS Dhoni's dismissal as well. He got out to uh, what's his name, the other Chahad Deepak. No, sorry, Rahul Chahad, he got out to, who's, who's actually one of the finds of the season for Mumbai. But actually, you know, weirdly, I think Rohit Sharma out-captained Dhoni uh, on the biggest stage. He um, Apparently, he was the one who who called for the slower ball um, from Malinga off off the last ball, and that was a masterstroke, really. Well, I, think, I guess he kind of had to go for it, didn't Because, you know, Chahar can hit a boundary or two, and I think putting pace off the, you know, he gets a lot behind the wicket, apparently. So putting that pace off the ball, but landing it in the spot that he landed it. I mean, it's a perfectly pitched delivery. So good on him. But it doesn't matter what you do all season, right? It just comes down to that one delivery, <laughs> right? If he'd strayed down leg side or he, he, he missed his Yorker, it could have been a different story. But um, yeah, fascinating final. And yeah, I mean, I think CSK and Mumbai Indians for many years now have been there or thereabouts, haven't they? Those two teams. Yeah, they do seem like they have the best know-how when it comes to winning the tournament. And that counts for a lot. I mean, and you look at the Mumbai, both teams actually, you look at their kind of brains trust and, and it's really strong, isn't it? You know, CSK have got Stephen Fleming and MS Dhoni and people like Shane Watson and Dwayne Bravo, Harbhajan Singh have been around the block. Maybe don't do much in terms of team meetings and training, but uh, know how to win games. But Mumbai actually, and maybe they don't get enough credit for this, but you know, if you look at them as well, Rohit Sharma is a pretty good captain. You have, we have to say that. Um, and then they've got Mahela Jayawadane, who's you know an excellent coach. They've got really strong support staff, people like uh, John Wright, um, Kiran Morey, and they do a lot of scouting. So uh, Zahir Khan as well. So they do, you know, they do a lot of scouting for to find good players. Um, and they've done that you know, throughout 
their IPO journey. And of course, one other person we should say who deserves special praise and credit, Darren, Akash Ambani. Because, you know, I, I think we have to say they probably couldn't have done it without him. He's, uh, he's, he sets the tone for the organization. He certainly does. And, and his mother as well. I think they're, they're both really the, sort of, the, you know, sort of steam engine behind the juggernaut, aren't they, really? But, you know, a couple of performance that it, to call out in the final. I mean, um, Jasper Boomer again, just sensational. I think he delivered four overs, two for 14. I mean, he's just almost unplayable in those conditions, whether he's bowling short, he nails his Yorkers. He's just got a great cricket brain. And I like listening to him when he's interviewed. He's, he seems like a very level-headed guy. Um, he impressed me a lot in the um, Cricket Fever of course, series on Netflix. He's like a level-headed guy, good cricket thinker. Just his strength grows and grows, and I think he was the player of the match, right? He was. That 19th over he bowled was uh, pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, especially with a set batsman, right? With Watson set and firing, he'd just taken, I think, 20 off the previous over, and to to sort of squeeze him out like that, it's really, really difficult to see. You don't see that very often uh, in a run chase, but sensational. And I'm, I'm I'm just glad he got through without an injury. Yeah. And now they can wrap him wrap him in cotton wool and put him away until the World Cup begins. Most uh, give you a shout out too, Arun. You actually picked these two teams. You thought they might do well. I think you picked them on by Indians to win and CSK to be there or thereabouts. Um, it's so true, well played, but, sir. You know, I don't think, I honestly don't think it's a bit of a no-brainer in a way. I mean, you could say, honestly, you could say Mumbai Indians and CSK every year. And you know that one of them is going to get to the knockouts, at least probably both of them, and one of them will get to the final. So, yeah, but it's a safe bet. It's a safe bet for sure. I mean, I did think, because Mumbai had a, had, a, had a poor season last year, let's not forget. Yeah, they did. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have a poor season next year, because that seems to be how they do it. I think it was the Netflix series that really sealed your... Yeah, <laughs> it really did. <laughs> it really did, actually. You're thinking. It gave you, gave you... Well, I just thought you could see that they were... They took this stuff seriously. You know, you do wonder about that a little bit with some of the other franchises. Um, but yeah, so well done, to, well done to Mumbai. I mean, there's some... Uh, sorry, you were going to say? No, I just, I just think the balance of the teams, both, both have great balance in the team, both as far as experience goes, but also they, all, they both have good all-rounders um, that really make an impact and, and, and best-in-class bowlers, whether it's spinners or pace bowlers, right? Um, it makes a difference. You, you think a lot of other teams, they have you know, three or four guns with a bat maybe or, or two or three. They have a couple of good bowlers, but the overall squad is a little bit weak and a lot of questions are being asked about the squads. Whereas these two have, have quite a well-rounded, they know each other well, they seem to have a pretty good culture on the field. So it really goes for a lot. So well done to those guys. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, you can have a Besto and a, and a David Warner at the top, but if you don't have the, the rest of the team thought out, it, it doesn't make sense. And I think Mumbai really do think through this stuff very, very clearly. Uh, and it shows. Yeah, and I think just knowing when your players are available. I mean, case in point, you mentioned um, Hyderabad there. You know, you you had Johnny Bairstow and David Warner on fire for the whole season, right? And then those two guys go away for World Cup duties and it really exposes the rest of the team, right? I mean, they'd scored, I think, half the runs while they were there. Manish Pandey did okay, and I think Kane Williamson was a bit disappointing, right? They didn't really pick up the slack, so yeah, they were, they were close. I think Delhi did well, better than expected, I think. They... You know, Shreyas, Shreyas Iyer is really um, stepping up to the plate as a captain, I think. Uh, and he's leading the India A tour, I think, as well now uh, as captain. So he was impressive as well, I thought. Yeah, Delhi Capitals had a, had a really good season. I mean, Rishabh Pant obviously batted really well. Um, and they looked like they've 
got it together and I sus- I expect them to do better next year as well. I think they've got, you know, the building blocks there to maybe even go on and win it. Who knows? We shall see. But actually this tournament, I think really reminded us of the enduring value of experience. Um, you look at some of the players that did really well. I mean, Harbhajan Singh, 38 years old, uh, 16 wickets, nine of which came in the first six overs. Right. I mean, he was really strong in the power play. Then, of course, Lasith Malinga, who we haven't actually talked about a lot on this podcast. And I actually kind of thought he'd retired, uh, but came back. You know, he doesn't bowl at 140 kph anymore, but he's got so much experience. He's got the slower balls um, and he bowled really well. And then finally, um, Ishant Sharma. I mean, honestly, I no one I don't think saw this coming. This is a guy who's often ignored at the IPL auction, um, but he took 13 wickets at an economy rate of 7.58 and basically became Delhi Capital's frontline bowler after Kagisa Rabadu got injured. He sure did. Going back to experience again, you know, the 40-year-old Imran Tahir was the highest wicket taker, right, um, for the season. He was shunned for a little while, wasn't he, the last couple of seasons. He's an absolute gun. And I think was he shunned or was he just off celebrating? I don't he know. Maybe he's off celebrating and he didn't <laughs> he didn't make it to the auction and didn't put his price in on time, perhaps. But yeah, I, I think you know Shreyas Gopal too was um, quite impressive. Roger Sanford Ross. Yeah, is he old or young? I can never figure it out. I, <laughs> I think he's quite young. Yeah, he's young. He did very well. He was he was really the the sort of the surprise bowler in a way. Came out of nowhere. And then Shreyas. I think Rashid Khan was also you know strong again, low economy rate. Difficult to get away. I thought away. Rashid Khan was a little bit, I don't know, I felt it was a little bit underwhelming. He only took... 17 well, his, wickets. His economy rate were good. His, his economy rate was good, but um, he was not their leading wicket taker. I mean, it's his high standards were judging him by. He's still, he's still yeah. So it, it wasn't his best IPL, let's just say that. Yeah, and I, I think what's becoming increasingly important is probably not these stats, not necessarily economy rates and averages, but but sort of matchups and when when the captains bring them on to bowl against certain batsmen, I think that's becoming much more micro in that way. Looking at averages now, I don't think it really helps anything. I think I think looking at economy rates and strike rates and matchups against certain batsmen in certain conditions, I think those are becoming much more important here. Correct. Yeah, and I think in fact on Quick Info now they have some stats that help with that. You know, they can they give you a what they call a smart wickets tally. So, um, so you know, some wickets count for more than others. Uh, interestingly, Kagisa Rabada, who, you know, I think he bowled brilliantly regardless, um, but a lot of his wickets were of tail enders. So, which is, which does matter, you know, it's really important to be able to clean up the tail and he does that better than anyone. Um, but you compare that to a Harbhajan Singh who took the bulk of his wickets in the power play. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's another IPL done and dusted. Um, and I guess now attention shifts to the World Cup, Darren, where where there's a lot of um, a lot of preparation going on. Pakistan. Um, before we get to some of the other teams, Pakistan has recalled Mohammed Amir to its squad. I think that, that just happened yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. After uh, I think after seeing their bowlers being taken apart by the English batsmen in the current limited over series. They've brought back Mohamed Amir, even though he's suffering from chickenpox, possibly another injury. I mean, I, I think he he does well in England typically, but I, but I mean, I, I must say in these games against uh, the West Indies in England, I, I've been very disturbed at these wickets. Um, these pitches have been 
flat as hell. Um, and not flat and slow or flat and quick. They've been flat and evenly paced, so you can hit through the line. So it worries me if that's the kind of wickets they're going to prepare all summer for the World Cup. If you look at that series against uh, India and Australia in India, you know, there's something in the wicket there, isn't it, for the bowlers? It's a bit slower or it turns a bit. There's something there, so you won't see these 350, 400 scores. But it does worry me a lot. I mean, it's just basically a batsman's paradise. And it's, I guess people like to see sixes and fours, but it's it's not much of a contest. Yeah, I, I think it's a risk because we're seeing, you know, England have, have you know, they've, they've chased down, what is it, 358, 359. They're going to get to 500 at some point at this rate uh, because, you know, anything's on the cards with that batting lineup. And I just think it, yeah, you're right. I think it just skews the match too much um we we all want to see good bowling and we want to see the bowlers have much more of a say in the matches and especially in england i think this is you know it's the home of swing bowling um so i mean i'm hopeful there's always the hope that the atmospheric conditions will come into play but i don't know by by june july i mean there, there should be something uh but but a lot will depend on the pitches you're right you know you can't just rely on on movement through the air yeah um, I mean, I think some of the best matches of the World Cup, uh, I mean, the last time when Australia played England, the last World Cup, where I think Australia were bowled out for 150 and New Zealand chased it with not, at nine for 150, 151 or something like that. It was one of the best matches of the World Cup and it was a low scoring game because it was a bit in the wicket for the bowlers. So I think we want to be, make sure we're not trying to replicate a T20 in an ODI, right? So we do want to see a bit of something in the wicket, right? We want to see the spin bowlers be able to attack. Exactly. Really. I mean, that's one of the great things, especially with, with the cricket we see today. There's so many good limited over spinners. Yeah. And we do want to see a bit of swing or a bit of movement up front for the first yeah, couple of overs, no right? No question. A bit of movement up front, maybe a bit of reverse in the last 10 overs. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's a little bit worrying. But um, anyway, England, of course, are going to face a, a big selection dilemma soon. I think in their next match, they're going to play Mark Wood and Joffrey Archer. Now, I wonder if that's going to be a shootout. I don't think so, because I think Joffrey Archer is going to get in the team regardless. So I suspect it is going to be down to Mark Mark Wood versus another player <clears throat> in terms of dropping out. And that other player may be Plunkett or Willie or maybe Joe Denley if they want to drop someone who's not a pace bowler. I think Willie's been quite impressive, though, I must say, in this. Yeah, I think I think they can't drop Willie. I agree with you. And also that variety, isn't it? The left arm swing that they don't have anywhere else. Um, and Liam Plunkett's record has been good over the last couple of years. I mean, he picks up a lot of wickets in the middle, the middle overs, which is always the difficult place to bowl, right? Yeah, agree. I think, I think they're both really good bowlers. I, re I really like the look of Willie, by the way. He just seems like a throwback. I like his haircut too. Another era. Yeah. He just, it, yeah, it just seems like a no nonsense cricketer. Can't see him wearing any Himalaya. Pimple cream. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure he does a lot of product in his hair, at least anyway. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're definitely going to be questions for um, for England. I think that you know the batting lineup looks, yeah, ferocious. I mean, it's really firing, firing on all cylinders. Joss Butler, what a, is yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a very good, a very good cricket player. Mm. Yeah, all, all aspects. Good human um, being. And a good cricketer. Good human being, good good cricket player. Ben Stokes. Actually, one of one of my uh, friend of mine said, if they're going to drop someone, they should probably drop Ben Stokes. He's been mm. you know, his form has been very average it, for it, a long time now. It really has. He's playing on reputation more than form, I think. Um, but Ian Chappell called him out as one of the key players for the World Cup. So I guess his point was that 
you know, for England to do well, he has to do well. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I mean, they haven't needed him. Look, if he plays well, I mean, as we all know, he gives them such a huge advantage. I mean, what is frightening, actually, really, I guess, is that they England are playing so well at the moment without Ben Stokes. Exactly. I was going to make the same point. So if you're doing well without your your sort of main strike weapon doing well, that's that, that's great, right? If he comes good, which he will, it gives you another dimension, doesn't it? Another gear. You're doing well, exactly. I mean, he's one of the, the top all-rounders in the world. and He's essentially a passenger at this point in the team. So... But they look settled otherwise. I mean, I still have a, I have a couple of doubts about Joe Root. He has the ability to come in and just kill the momentum, mm. um, which is okay if he sticks around, I think, till the end. But but these are minor concerns, England's batting lineup. Yeah, I mean, what you could do is, I mean, fl- people are starting to float pe- float different players in the batting order. I think if you if it was a tough wicket, you might want to send him in up front. But if things are going quite well and, and you know they only lose a wicket or two, in the first 15 to 20 overs, maybe you, you hold him back. I don't know. So so I guess there's there's flexibility there as well. Yeah, sure. South Africa, I thought we should just touch on briefly um, some 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 worrying injury problems for them. Kagisa Rabada is injured. Uh, Lungi Ngidi is injured. And of course, Dale Steyn is injured again. I think they're expecting both Rabada and Ngidi to be back, but it's a, it's a concern when they're three frontline quicks uh, as of now, unable to play. Yeah, that is a real concern. So I, gu- I guess everyone's going to name their final squad, aren't they? I- I'm not sure the due date. I think it's pretty soon, isn't it? It's May 23rd. 23rd, yeah. Mistaken. So obviously we'll do... I mean, for some of them, there won't be many changes. I think India, the only real thing is Kedar Jadav has an injury, but he's expected to recover. So I don't think we're expecting any changes there. Um, I think the only, I think England, Pakistan, you'll see changes and maybe South Africa. Yeah. I don't think Australia will, will they? There might be one or two. I think that camp up in Brisbane when they were playing the sort of second and third string New Zealand team where Steve Smith came back to form, it seems. So there could be a few little changes. I think the big concern for me is that, you know, I'm surprised they didn't put Josh Hazelwood in the squad. He's injured, isn't he? No, he's come back from injury, but he hasn't played much, had much game time. Uh, and I think the other big concern for me is Stoinis. So Stoinis hasn't been bowling or batting particularly well in the last, you know, sort of little while. That's a real concern when your main all-rounder is not doing well. So th- that's a real question mark for me. Um, but I think you have to go in with at least six bowlers, you know, including part-timers. You can't go in with just five. You do need that flexibility. The thing I wanted to ask you last time and I forgot on the last podcast was, it's actually quite surprising Peter Hanscom was left out. His his form has been really good. I mean, in the, in the one-day series against India, he... He, uh, what did he score a couple of centuries? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was a school of thought around him keeping, because he does keep, actually, and that Alex Carey might not continue giving his, his reason. You know, he hasn't been batting well for a while, Alex Carey. He's been pretty flat. But I think he'll be there or thereabouts. I think he'll be touring with the, with the Australia A team. So if it's an injury, he might get into the squad. I think the, the, the challenge they have, and we can get into this when we talk about the, the final lists, I guess, in the coming weeks. But I guess the problem they have is kind of where do you put Smith Marsh and Hanscom in that in that team. Well, the, the answer to that is you don't put Marsh in. <laughs> so I, I think you're probably right. We can we can get to that yeah, another time. Maybe. Yeah, sure. Okay. What I did want to talk about is the tri series going on at the moment between Ireland, West Indies, and Bangladesh. And Bangladesh have looked pretty good. They've won all their games. They've beaten the West Indies a couple of times. Um, and there's been contributions all down the list from bowling to batting. People are stepping up into the game. So this is an interesting little run-up for Bangladesh, I think. Yeah, they do look good. Are they 
how's that? What's their injury situation like? Because I do recall reading that that they a number of their key players were sort of had niggles. Yeah, I think Shakib had a side strain, but I think he'll be okay. What about Fizz? I thought he was injured as well. I'm not sure about Fizz. Um, I mean, he's a key player for them. He totally is. But yeah, they've beaten the West Indies. They've chased down some big scores against West Indies. They've beaten Ireland quite comfortably um, in that tri-series. And the final is on uh, the 17th, which is tonight. Yes, Bangladesh, West, West Indies. Indies in, in Dublin. Dublin. Yes. Yeah. Sunny Dublin. That'll be fun. Indeed. That will be fun. Yeah. I mean, look, Bangladesh have got a settled side. I think they... And they know, you know, a lot of experience. Um, so we shall see. Okay, so just to close, I think we've got some a few off-field things maybe to go through. Shall we start with uh, Shahid Afridi's explosive <laughs> autobiography? It's always sunny in La La, La Land. <laughs> that isn't actually the name. That would have been a great name. It would have been. It's called Game Changer. Yeah, which is a terrible name. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of stuff in here. I think some of the most interesting his his views on Javed Meandered, uh, not a fan of Javed, and uh, Gautam Gambia. His comments on uh, Gautam Gambia were pretty pretty strong. I thought. I think it's probably in response to Gambia's comments on you know military and all that kind of stuff, right? He he seems to like the uh, army no, quite well, a lot. Apparently, they. Um, they clashed a lot on the field because um, Gambia was always uh, Gambia was always a pretty spiky player, and they clashed on the field. And in his autobiography, Afridi says that Gambia behaves like someone who's a cross between who thinks he's a cross between Don Bradman and James Bond. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, I mean, don't we all? Uh, and said that Gambia has a lot of attitude and no great records. So pretty, pretty harsh. And then Paddy Upton, Paddy Upton um, in his book, so the former India trainer, uh, I, this is just a coincidence, came out and said that Gambier is like the, the most negative person he's ever met. Well, that's saying a lot. I'm sure he's met a lot of them. And we still didn't, we still didn't find out how old he is. Not really, did we? Well, no, it, 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 uh, that's the other big takeaway from the book. Shahid Afridi himself doesn't know how old he is. He, he says at one point he's born in 19... 75, then he says it's 1977. What's very clear is that he definitely wasn't 16. 13 or 15 or 16 or whatever. It, no, not 16, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the 16. other guy, Hassan Raza, mm. who was supposed to be 13 when he made his debut. But Afridi was 16, but everyone knew he wasn't. Yeah. So anyway, I think we should all... And, and I think it's there's been some contention about whether, whether he's actually read the book that he's supposed to have written. Read the book or read a book? <laughs> well, I'm not going to go there, but read his book. <laughs> yeah, I think he said on YouTube he hasn't read it because uh, it was ghostwritten by a Pakistani journalist. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of political stuff. You know, I think Afridi has some uh, some, solu- some solutions to uh, the Kashmir, the, the intractable Kashmir issue, which has dumped, you know, the finest minds in India and Pakistan. Uh, I think he's figured that one out. I think he's got some ideas for the Afghanistan peace process as well. Um, and he 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 says he both does have and doesn't have political ambitions. You got to love Shahid Afridi. <laughs> you really do. Boom boom. Um, okay, Jonathan Agnew um, in hot water, uh, responding to a, to a piece by Independent Chief Sports writer Jonathan Liu. 
So Jonathan News article, which we touched on last podcast um, around the, uh, the the debate about Joffre Archer, and Jonathan Liu just pointed out that a lot of the debate has kind of been using somewhat loaded language from a racial perspective, and that kind of language you haven't seen when people have been talking about other players to qualify for England, like let's say Gary Balance or um, Jonathan Trott. Uh, and he singled out Jonathan Agnew's comments on Joffre Archer. And uh, Agnew, Aggers, responded um, in a sort of fashion which is becoming customary for him, I think. He he took it very hard on Twitter, threatened to quit the Cricket Writers Association. Then he sent a string of direct messages to Jonathan Liu, where called him a four-letter word several times. Um, he's been reprimanded by the BBC. I mean, the interesting thing is no one, not a single person has come to Agas' defence. The Cricket Writers Committee or whatever that is has, has said they're not going to get involved. Ag- Agnew has quit the Cricket Writers Committee. Um, yeah, seems a little thin-skinned. Uh, I think I actually think Jonathan Lee was making some pretty valid points. And I mean, honestly, if, if a person of colour is is kind of writing an article about racism, I think Agnew should tread carefully. <laughs> really um, so that's Agas and then the only other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Sachin Tendulkar has been uh, has been cited for pot- potential conflict of interest regarding his role with uh, Mumbai Indians there's been a, he also there's been a number of yep. sightings of conflict of interest hasn't well, there that, Ganguly was supposed to be yeah under the pump Lakshman I think I mean there's a lot of conflicts of interest Let's be clear. A lot, a lot of these these guys have BCCI roles, but they also have, so you know, they may part own a franchise or they might have a, a role in a in a team. Tendulkar came back and said uh, it's not a conflict of interest because he's not getting any any payment for his for his Mumbai Indians role. But you said that was payment in kind, I think. Well, I mean, we've all seen him at the buffet table, Darren. And I mean, if that doesn't count as payment, then I'm not really sure what does. So anyway, do you have a quote of the week? Before the quote of the week, I just did, I just did want to talk a little bit about um, Bob Hawke. Bob Hawke, the former uh, Prime Minister of Australia, of course, well-known cricket tragic, passed away this week. You know, Bob was well-known for sculling a beer at the cricket. Um, he'd always scull a beer with fans and often he'd give away the... The, the cup that he scolded out of to, you know, adoring fans, well-liked in Australia, you know, an Oxford scholar, but yet a, a real larrikin kind of Australian man of the people and a huge cricket fan. And I think when he was the president of the ACTU, which was the, is the biggest collective of trade unions in the 1970s, he had a big impact on um, the South African proposed tour to Australia. So at the time, Don Bradman was, uh, I think, involved with the, the Cricket Board of Australia and you know, Bob Hawke had been very vocal and leading protests against the rugby tour that had just happened, the Springbok rugby tour in 1970 to Australia. Um, there are a lot of protests out on the streets, you know, obviously because of apartheid. And, you know, the, the story goes that Bradman calls Bob Hawke and asks him to come to his house and discuss, you know, the upcoming cricket tour. And, you know, I think Bradman says to him something like, you know, Bob, why, why are you trying to bring politics into sport? And, you know, young Bob Hawke turns around and says, well, I don't think he was that young then, maybe in his 40s, you know, turns to, to, to the Don and says, you know, Don, we're not bringing politics into sport. It's the government of South Africa who is bringing politics into sport because the government has a policy that no person who isn't white 
is allowed to represent their country. That's bringing politics into sport. And I think um, Bradman looked at him for a minute and sort of said to him, basically, I can't respond to that, Bob. That's, that's right. And so then he totally turned Bradman around and Brad- Bradman supported that, that banning of Suffragan tour. So for 20 years, they were, as you know, they didn't tour anywhere in the world. So for 20 years. So again, Bob Hawke, not just a sort of a goofy, larrikin, you know, beer-sculling guy, but actually did a lot of good for the game of cricket and forced, sort of helped to force that change in South Africa as well. So good on you, Bob. Yeah, good story. I didn't actually know that. I, I knew that there had, there had been something that happened between Bob Hawke and Don Bradman, but I didn't know this was a story. So that is a good one. And yeah, Bob Hawke, um, real cricket lover. So rest in peace. So let's see, quotes of the week. I have um, a couple of minor contenders. I mean, leaving aside the Himalaya song, which is a, I mean, every line in that is really a, a potential quote. Potential of quote of the week. There's Aaron Finch. Apparently Usman Khawaja had a, some sort of a dinner at his house, invited some Australian players. Um, didn't invite Aaron Finch. Yeah, and he seemed quite bitter about that, didn't he? Yeah, he, sort of so mentioned he didn't invite me. Was he didn't invite me for dinner the other night at his place? So that might cost him. I mean, I, I don't think he's joking. Actually, <laughs> I, I mean, I would think it's really basic to invite your captain. Yeah, I, I think Rishabh Pant would definitely invite Virat Kohli, and then Virat Kohli would would probably suggest he needs to improve his skincare regimen. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's would Hardik would Hardik Pandya Hardik Pandya invite KL Rahul? Isn't it Hardik Pandya who doesn't allow tap water on his face? <laughs> Maybe he should have done the ad. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I think it's, it's, like it's tap water in his hair as well. It's like a, it's like a skincare 11 we need to come up with. We, we, do, we, we could probably do that. I think Ricky Ponting was flogging something for a while as well. Um, we can probably come up with a skincare best 11. Indeed. All right. Have you got a quote? It kind of segues nicely into my quote that I came across this week from the Shastri verse. It's so deep, and I'd like listeners to really reflect on this after I after I repeat what Shastri said. He said, life is much like batting. Treat every ball on merit. Take it to heart, people. Take it to heart. Think about yeah. it. Treat every ball on its merit. Ball. Yeah. <laughs> He's obsessed with I balls, think, isn't yeah. he? Well, there's lots of things I could, I could bring up that I think Shastri treated everyone on merit. Um, but perhaps let's not go there. Yeah. And it's good to see too that, you know, Virat Kohli, um, and Ravi Shastri are on auto mode now, which is um, a great way to lead a team. You just lead them on autopilot. So, um, yeah, good. Yeah, indeed. Um, do we have a Muppet of the Week? <laughs> I thought we've um, – I couldn't really find I mean, anything I, this week. I mean, I think we should just go with Vera and Rishabh Pant. Yeah, I think that's Muppetry. For that remarkable – Remarkable ad, or you know, I think Jonathan Agnew is. Well, he probably is the contender, isn't he? And the winner, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, he probably wins it. Yeah, it's a pity, yeah, isn't it? He's such a good, period. such a good commentator and a good brain on cricket. I mean, th- that's the way he behaves. It's really not cool, is it? Yeah, I'm not. I've, I've got to say, I'm not a fan of his commentary. Really? I find him. I like I guess. Yeah, I find him a little smug, and just, just this is sort of the whole old boy thing going on with him. I think. I, I find there's a lot of new commentators that have come through in the BBC that are very good, but and anyway, I'm, I suspect he feels hard done by, regardless. But uh, some, so uh, that probably brings us to a close. I think. I think it does. All right. So next up, uh, I guess we'll be back shortly before the uh, the tournament, which is actually starting in 13 days. 
Can you believe? You excited? <laughs> you don't uh, look very excited. <laughs> he just looked at me blankly then across the studio. <laughs> well, the thing is, it goes on for a long time. So, you, you know, you don't want to peak too early. So when the India-Pakistan match rolls around, um, I'll definitely be excited. I'm actually going to India-Afghanistan. Are you? Yeah, June nice. 22nd. Well, yeah, it well, should be. I mean, I think that the only upside to having just 10 teams is that Every game is kind of a there's a quality match there that you can that you could see some team might cause an upset, um, but that's the only that's the only upside I'd say. You know, as we've talked about before, there needs to be many more teams in this World Cup than there is today. It's kind of atrocious. Yeah, it's a real shame, and 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 it still goes on too long. Agree. But June sixteenth is India Pakistan, and I think by that point. I will be excited. So all I can say is bring on the 100 World Cup. Oh my gosh, we didn't we need to well when we get Toby back for the next show um we'll get him to run us through the the shambolic launch. The shambolic, yes. Well well put Darren, the shambolic launch of the 100 um which which just appears to to stumble from bad to worse. It does. Um All right, thank you Darren and thank you all listeners. We'll be back soon.